0: Now, I know a lot of you want to maintain your Christian faith for the rest of your lives, or maybe you want your kids or your grandchildren to maintain their Christian faith for their entire lives. So how do you do that? I mean, should we read the Bible every day? Should we sing only Christian music? Should we abstain from bad influencers? Well, I'm convinced that it's not that simple. There's not one answer that fits everybody's situation. But what we can do is that we can look at how the first century Christians maintained their faith. Today we're going to be going through a huge chunk of the book of Acts. We're going to be tracking this guy named Peter who probably was the very first Christian leader. We're going to be looking at four stories where Peter is challenged to give up his faith and we're going to take a look at how he responded to that. Alright, story number one. So let me set up the scene here. There's a huge crowd of Christians who are living in Jerusalem and all of a sudden they all received the Holy Spirit. They all started speaking in different languages and all the foreigners who were at Jerusalem at the time, they all confirmed that these people they're not just randomly putting syllables together, but they are in fact speaking legit languages. Then some skeptic that's in the crowd decides to mock and ridicule these Christians. This person who remains unnamed shouts, they had too much wine. Okay, so let's imagine for a second that you're the first leader of this church. Christianity is zero days old and something unexplainable just happened. And at that moment, you have this flashback of what happened three years ago where you gave up your entire career to follow this rabbi named Jesus who claims to be God's anointed one. People called him a heathen, but you, no, you stuck by him. Religious leaders wanted him dead and you being the top of his disciples list are now also a wanted person. Then three years later, your rabbi is captured. And at that point, you recall that you immediately questioned your life decisions and so you hide. Then you hear a voice in your head that says, Wait a minute, just in case this guy is who he claims to be, I'm going to stay close to him, but not too close, so you follow him from a distance, but in the process, you identify the people around you, and they call the authorities on you, so you lie. You claim that you never knew this rabbi and then you run away in tears. Then a few hours later, you find out that your rabbi is now found guilty by trial and is now hanging on the cross, which is the most painful and shameful execution method at that time. Now, you are really regretting your decision. You just gave up three years of your life and now, even if you wanted to get back into society, you are known as the guy that followed this delusional rabbi and now you're probably going to be an outcast for the rest of your life. But then three days later, you hear from somebody that they've seen the rabbi walking around, that he's alive again. And you're a little doubtful, but you run to the grave to check it out, to confirm the claims yourself, and then you meet the resurrected Jesus. He spends the next 40 days teaching you what you need to know, and he says everything is about to change. Then he leaves, but before he leaves, He tells you that you're now in charge of the entire thing he goes to heaven and leaves the entire movement in your hands and as jesus promised a few days later something crazy indeed happens people are speaking different languages and now you have this tear in your eye you're getting emotional because you realize that you now don't regret following jesus three years ago all that pain and frustration doesn't seem to matter to you anymore because you get to participate in the redemption of the entire world And just as that movement is about to start, you hear somebody heckling at you saying, Oh, they had too much wine to drink. And then from another corner of the courtyard, you hear somebody snickering. And you wonder, oh my goodness, is this how this movement is going to end? Well, the church shut down on the day that it was founded. So how do you think Peter responded to this? Well, first he addresses the most obvious thing. He says, these people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I think Peter thought his response was a bit funny. But then he quotes his Old Testament prophet, which is a very smart move because in Jerusalem, everyone there loves the Old Testament. And then he says this, This man, that's Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. (laughs) Now, this is Peter's very first sermon that's recorded for us. And he basically says, hey, you guys know who Jesus is. Yeah, the guy that you executed. Not a year ago, not six months ago, but just a few weeks ago, not in a far off land, but you know, right around that corner, right over there. (laughs) Then he says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So the bridge version of Pierre's first sermon is, hey, they're not drunk. By the way, remember that you killed Jesus and you saw that he was alive after his execution. Then he concludes his sermon by saying, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. So this is how Peter defended his faith. He says, hey, we all saw the resurrection, right guys? And we can't deny what we saw. Many of you people saw Jesus die and rise again. And apparently, thousands of people saw what Peter saw because after Peter gave this message, 3,000 people joined the movement saying, you're right, Pete, I saw it with my own eyes and I can't deny it either. All right, story number two. Now one day Peter and John they were on their way to the temple and they saw this man who's been lame for his entire life like he couldn't walk. Now as you can guess 2,000 years ago in Israel if you had a deformity like that you would not be considered to be clean so people wouldn't want to hang out with you and you probably couldn't get employed. So. You become a beggar. But Peter didn't have any money with him, so he stretched out his arm, pulled him up, and he began to walk. Now this caused a lot of guests who were at the temple to crowd around Peter. They just saw something miraculous happen. All their eyes were on him. So what do you think he told them? The exact same thing he said just a few verses ago. He talked about Jesus. This is how Peter puts it. He says, You, you people around me, handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. Okay, so with the opportunity of a lifetime, with all eyes on Peter, he says, Hey, remember a few weeks ago when you were given the choice of releasing this known murderer, like he had blood on his hands, the guy named Barabbas, or Jesus who's innocent and he's never done anything wrong? Now refresh my memory for me. Who did you choose? Oh right, Barabbas, you are responsible for killing Jesus. You were there, you were there, you were there, and you, I saw you throwing rocks at him. And then a few verses later, he summarizes his argument by saying, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Then he says, We are witnesses of this. You saw with your eyes, right? You saw what I saw a foolproof execution. Then you saw what we saw, Jesus walking around town with holes in his hands and feet. You can't deny what you saw. Yeah, Peter gives the exact same sermon that he gave a few days ago. Three points. Number one, you killed him. Number two, God raised him from the dead. Number three, we all saw it and we can't deny it. All right, story number three, and there is a pattern to this if you haven't caught on yet. So because Peter healed the man who was begging outside the temple, Christianity was starting to gain steam. Now, at the time, they didn't have a church building because Christianity was brand new. So they met in the courtyard of the temple. And that means that the religious rulers of Judaism, they saw the Jesus movement getting bigger and bigger right before their eyes on their own turf. And they were kind of getting irritated. So they decided to use the same trick they used on Jesus, but this time on Peter. Yeah, basically, let's capture Peter at night, put him on an unfair trial, and they have him executed. So Acts 4 says they, the religious authorities, were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Now at the trial, their first question is this, by what power or what name did you do this? Basically they're asking, how did you make that guy walk again? And by whose authority did you think you were allowed to do this? (laughs) And I love Peter's response. Rulers and elders of the people. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed then know this you and all the people of israel it is by the name of jesus christ of nazareth whom you crucified but whom god raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed okay wow peter basically starts off by saying is it a crime to be nice to someone i healed a man and the last time i checked That was a nice thing to do. Then he transitions to, I healed him through Jesus, who, by the way, you killed, but don't worry, God raised him from the dead. Yeah, he straight up answered their question and somehow masterfully transitioned that answer into the same sermon he preached twice already. You know, the same three-point sermon. You killed him, God raised him, and we all saw it. So now this committee who's questioning Peter, they're a little disturbed, so they get together and they discuss what they should do next. Because you see, they realized that they too can't deny what they saw. And they also came to the realization that there are thousands, not hundreds, but thousands of people in the city that also believes that they saw Jesus walking around after his execution. And they can't deny what they saw. Then Peter concludes this hearing by saying, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. He's saying, hey guys, I understand where you're coming from. We hear you. You don't like this movement, but you can't deny it and I can't deny it. We can't lie about this. We all know that Jesus is alive. So once again, Peter gives the same reason as before. Peter said that it's all about the resurrection. He's basically saying, guys, that one event in history changed everything for me, and I can't go back to the way I was. And now, story number four. A few days later, Peter is caught again by the same religious rulers, and this time, they threaten him with death. And guess what Peter said to them? Yes, you guessed it. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So here's a quick observation. The way that Peter defends his own faith is not the way that we defend our faith today. I mean, as a pastor, I have prescribed to other people the way that you're going to overcome questioning your faith is by reading this fat book every single day. But that's not what Peter did. Some of us think that the best way to defend our faith is to be good at debating the Bible. Like, we need to somehow be able to defend that the world was actually created in seven literal days or that the flood of Noah actually happened. Because I'm convinced that Peter, he probably could never defend those biblical claims. And on top of that, he was probably illiterate and he didn't have access to a Bible. And likewise, Peter's faith wasn't founded on having the best pastor preach the best kind of sermon, nor was it founded in avoiding having interactions with people negative influencers. Peter's faith was founded on an event in history called the resurrection. The people who persecuted Peter were more knowledgeable about the Hebrew scriptures, they knew more worship songs, and they had more exposure to scholars than anybody else in that time. If Peter were to get into a theological debate with these religious rulers, he would absolutely would have lost, but that wouldn't have shaken his faith because his faith was founded on the resurrection, not what he knew in his mind. Peter was an uneducated former fisherman who saw his teacher get slaughtered and hanged, then three days later ate fish together with him. And that was pretty much his response to every situation that we read today. And that was enough for him and for the thousands others who decided to follow Jesus in the stories that we just read. So this tells me that our faith and our children's faith should be founded on the resurrection also. We need to train ourselves and our children to say that, hey, I may not understand the Bible completely, I may not be able to defend the Bible completely, but I know that Jesus rose from the grave. We need the next generation to say, hey, I may not feel God's presence with me right now, but my faith is not founded on that feeling. It's actually founded on a historical event. I may not be the smartest person here, and I may lose every debate about Jesus, but I know my God lives. And that is how Peter defended his faith, and maybe that's how we ought to do it too. So church, may you stand on the firm foundation of Jesus and his resurrection. And may you join Peter in saying, Hey, we can't help but speak about the things we have seen and heard. And may you experience heaven together. God bless.